Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, good to see you today. My name is Ethan. I'm one of your pastors. And so, so grateful for you joining us today. I know that people all over the city and then literally all over the country, different places tune in to um, our online worship experience um, every Sunday. And so I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this craziness. Thank you for joining us for a few minutes. Just encourage you to kind of focus in. You know, there's, I believe, 160 hours in the week. And so I think it's super um, helpful for us to just take one of those hours and to just focus ourselves and focus our attention um, specifically on God together in our worship and um, responding to him in worship and then receiving from the word today. I'm super excited about the message for um, today. And so we're continuing our series, How to Get Through. How to Get Through. This is a series that we're in, walking through a few select psalms, um, specific songs that are in the Old Testament that help us to understand what it's like in, in life's craziest seasons, in life's craziest circumstances, how to get through and how to make it. And so today we're in Psalm 18. If you've got a Bible, I want you to uh, join me in Psalm 18. We're in Psalm 18, and we're going to be walking through a portion of this a psalm today. And the title for um, the sermon today is this. Here's the title. The title is, I'm Drowning. I'm Drowning. You ever felt like you were drowning? You ever felt like you were just drowning, and you just, you just, couldn't, you just couldn't keep up? You just couldn't make it? You felt like you were never going to get through? I know that for many of us, we've had experiences in our life where we've been in situations where physically and quite literally... Uh, we felt like we were drowning. I remember being a young kid, one of the earliest experiences I have as a kid. I remember in the summers we would, we would all go as a part of this um, camp and we would go to the neighborhood community school and we would, it'd be the highlight of our week and we would uh, all swim and we would jump in, hundreds of kids in this large community pool, have a lot of fun. I remember one day in particular I had jumped in and I was, you know, at the bottom, it was only five or six feet deep, but I remember being a young child swimming and staying at the bottom, seeing how long I could hold my breath. And I remember holding my breath and holding my breath and holding my breath, trying to go as long as I could. And then when I couldn't hold my breath any longer, I remember swimming back up to the top. And right when I got to the surface of the water, another kid who didn't see me actually jumped in and jumped on top of me and, and pushed me back down to the bottom. And then whatever remaining air was in me knocked the air that was in me out. And I remember feeling like helpless. I remember feeling like um, I was going to die. I remember feeling like I was drowning. And there was no way that I could um, get up. And I just wasn't going to make it. Fortunately, um, my body floated back up to the top in that moment. And I was able to gasp uh, for a breath of air and to get onto the side of the pool and just look around and be like, well, thank God that, you know, I, I made it. You know, in, in life, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where it feels like we're, we're drowning. It feels like we might not make it. It feels like we just can't break free, can't break through the surface. It feels like we're, we can't breathe. And today, what I love about our psalm is that David this writer, this poet, this musician, this artist, this statesman, David writes and he shares with us his own situation of feeling like he was drowning. And what happened to him particularly in his situation and actually how he got through that, how he got out of that. And what we find interesting about David's situation is that <laughs> David's life was not this like 
fairy tale life of godly bliss and happiness and hope and positivity for his entire life. David went through it. David faced some of the hardest seasons. David faced some of the hardest circumstances imaginable for a human to face. David's life was really like a, a roller coaster. I mean, he, he experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. David, um, his life was just one set of unpredictable, unpredictable circumstances after another. For David, he knew what it was like to be a giant slayer and also to be a refugee. David knew what it was like to be, to be able to feast at a kingly banquet and then also to be homeless and without food. David um, knew what it was like to be able to live off of the treasury and have infinite amounts of money. And then he also knew what it was like to have a bank account in the negative. David knew what it was like to be praised and adored by many. And he also knew what it was like to be betrayed and shunned by many. David knew what it was like to feel so close to God but then also feel like God was a million miles away. What I love about David is he doesn't hide any of his pain from us. David doesn't put on a face. David doesn't act like everything is fine. David actually shows us what it's like to feel like you're drowning and what to do in that situation. In Psalm 18, specifically today, this psalm is a really a, a brilliant psalm in the sense that if you look at the title of the psalm, it says that, um, this was a psalm of David that was written and that was used for him when he was delivered from Saul, um, but then also delivered from other enemies, other things, other threats in his life. This psalm is actually um, uh, photocopied basically in 2 Samuel chapter 22, which is the 2 Samuel is part of the story and the narrative of David's life. And you see this entire psalm really word for word in 2 Samuel 22, which is at the very end of his life, just a few chapters before he dies. So here's what this means, is that this psalm would have been used by David, um, not just for one season of his life or one situation, but this would have been a psalm that David would have used over and over again, which means David was continually and constantly in circumstances where it felt like he was drowning. You know, being a believer or knowing God or following God or walking with God doesn't mean that you get to bypass life's hardest situations. It just means that God meets you in those situations. That's what it means to be a, a follower. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to know God and to have a relationship with him. And so today what we're going to do, I want you to look with me in, in Psalm 18. And we're going to begin in verse 4. We're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to walk through several verses. And then at the end we're going to come back to the top in verse 1. So here we go. Psalm 18. Um, beginning with verse four, it says this. David says, this is his metaphor. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. And the snares of death confronted me. At first, the metaphor isn't completely clear because of the, the words here. But if you dig in a little bit, you understand a little bit of the situation, that, that the picture that David is painting for us. He says, first of all, the cords of death, which means the, the ropes of death. David feels like there's ropes around him. He feels like he's being drugged down. David feels like he's going to die. These ropes are encompassing him. They're surrounding him. They're all around him. And he says, the torrents of destruction. This word torrents here, it means um, rushing waters, 
means like um, raging waters, like waves that are just rolling over him over and over again. The torrents of destruction have overcome him, have assailed him. He says the, the cords or the ropes again of Sheol, which means the grave. The ropes of, gray, uh, of Sheol, of the grave, have entangled me. And then he says the snares of death, and the word snares here is the word for traps. The, the trap of, of death has confronted me. David is, is, is in a situation where he feels like he's going to die. David quite literally feels, feels like this is, is, is the end. He feels like he's done. I mean, he feels like there's no way. He feels like he is drowning. The waters have just overcome him. And he just feels like there is no way out. There's no possible way that I'm going to get out of this situation. There's, there's no way that I'm going to be able to be set free from this. You know, I don't know where you are today, and I don't know what you're facing today. Um, I don't know what you have faced, and I also don't know what you will face. But all of us face situations and circumstances in life where it feels like we're drowning. You know, the easiest metaphor and the most common metaphor is drowning in debt. People say, I feel like I'm drowning in debt. And when you've got student loans stacked up, when you've got credit card debt stacked up, when you've got car payments stacked up, when you've got a mortgage, and when you've got maybe child support and other things that you're trying to pay for, and you just feel like you're drowning in debt and you're never going to get out of debt because it just seems like one thing after another. You're never going to break free and have that financial independence, drowning in debt. You know, others of you, you know what it's like to feel like you're drowning in responsibilities. Responsibilities. I think especially of those who are in a home and those who have a family and you're trying to lead the family, you're trying to love the family, you're trying to serve the family and you've got groceries uh, to think about and you've got schoolwork to think about and you've got extracurriculars that you're trying to think about and then you've got bills and you've got things that you've got and you've got to keep the house clean and you've got to make sure that the car is maintained and it's like, it just feels like you're drowning in the responsibilities that you have. Some of you know what it's like to feel like you're drowning in expectations, the expectations of others, maybe the expectation of a parent or the expectation of a spouse or the expectation of a boss, and you just feel like you're drowning and you're never going to actually make them happy. Some of you know what it's like to feel like you're drowning in finances and like the bills are, are coming in and you don't know how it's, the bill's going to be paid. And your spouse keeps telling you it's going to be okay and we're gonna figure out how to do it somehow, but you just don't see how it's gonna happen and you feel like you're drowning in finances. Some of you as well, you know, feel like you're drowning in perhaps relationships. It seems like every friendship that you try to have, it just seems to go south. It seems like you're just drowning in the trying to have the relate, maintain relationships and to have friendships, and it just feels like you can't keep a friendship solid or keep going on. Some of you know what it's like to feel like you're just drowning in, in failures and mistakes. For you, it seems like your life is just one mistake after another, one failure after another, and it just doesn't feel like you're ever going to be set free from that. Some of you know what it's like to feel like you're drowning in fear or terror or anxiety. About, about what's going to happen or about what might happen. And you're just drowning in the, this feeling of this weight and this, this burden and this oppression that you are under. Some of you know what it feels like to be drowning in grief and sorrow and loss. You know, for this season, this is a season of loss for all of us in, in a variety of different ways, but all of us right now in this season are, are feeling loss, a, a, a feeling of loss and Perhaps you feel like you're just drowning in 
that. Some of you know what it feels like to feel like you're just drowning in oppression and attack. And it just seems like people are against you. And it seems like the system is set against you. And it just seems like you're never going to break free. I think of our brothers and sisters who are, um, are African Americans or people of color. And it just, you feel like, am I, am I ever going to actually make it in this society and in this culture? Especially after the cultural circumstances we've seen recently. Feel like you are drowning. And what I love about David is David doesn't have some kind of cush life where he never feels like things are going bad. But for David, it feels like one set of circumstances after another, and it feels like he is drowning. I love what he says about what he did when he was drowning. This is what he says. This is what he tells us. This is his this is kind of his, his formula. This is, this is what we've seen over and over again. As I've walked through these various psalms, it just seems like the pattern is the same one after another. Look with me in, in, in verse 6 of Psalm 18. David says, In my distress, the word here for distress means extreme anxiety, extreme pain or extreme sorrow. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. This is, what, this is what David does. This is what David does over and over again. He finds himself in an emotional situation. He finds himself in a financial situation. He finds himself in a physical situation where he's got threats, where he's got enemies. He doesn't know how he's going to make it out. He doesn't, he doesn't know how he's going to see tomorrow. This is what he does. He calls out to God. He calls out to God. He cries out to God. As I've said over and over again, this, this isn't some kind of nice, polite cry. This is an ugly cry to God. This is a painful cry to God. This is, God, help me. God, save me. God, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this circumstances. I can't do it on my own. I've said over and over again, this is the pattern. This is how you get through This is how you get through, not strategize your way out, not figure out some kind of, um, some kind of self, um, help scenario to get yourself out, not try to figure out how to get these things together or these things together. How you get through is crying out to God. It's getting to a place where you say to God, I need you. The problem with most of us is we live our lives like we don't need God. We can figure this thing out. We can fill out some more job applications. We can take some more medicine. We, we can do this. We can try a class. We can try this. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But you need God. God is what will deliver you. He is what will get you through. He is the only thing that can get you through. And until you get to a point in your life where you say, I need him, and I need you, and you cry out to him, and you submit to him, and you say, I need you to do this, you'll never get through. You'll never get through. And David just says that his pattern over and over and over again is he calls out to God. He cries out to God. He finds, him place, finds himself in a place where he's drowning, and he just responds to God in desperation. And I would say that that is what God is after. That is what God is looking for. That's what God is wanting us to do. You're drowning and you're caught in a rip current and you're out in the middle of the ocean. Um, the, the way that you um, get out isn't, isn't by your own strength and isn't by paddling. Maybe some of you are strong swimmers. 
The way you get out is you yell out to the lifeguard. You make as much commotion as you can. You yell as loud as you can. You smack the water as loud as you can. You throw your hands up in the air, trying to get the attention of the lifeguard, saying, I need you. And when that lifeguard sees you, that lifeguard runs. That lifeguard runs down the beach as fast as he or she can and goes into the water to come and to rescue you. You can try paddling against the rip current. You, you can try, but you're going to get worn out. You're going to get tired. The only way to get out is by reaching out to God. Now, here's what, here's what I love about this, what David does next. This picture that David gives us in Psalm 18, I believe is unlike any that I've ever really paid attention to. In Psalm 18, look in verse 7. This is what David says about God. Um, this is another metaphor for David's earlier metaphor of drowning. In verse 7, he says, Then the earth reeled. It's a word for quake. It's shook. The the earth reeled and rocked. You have this idea of the, the ground is shaking. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he, speaking of God, he was angry. God was angry. He was fatherly for David. He wanted to defend David. He wanted to help David. He wanted to protect David. And like a father, he, he was angry. Verse 8, smoke went up from his nostrils, speaking of God. You see the picture that David is painting. And a devouring fire from his mouth. This is a metaphor. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. This means that God is fiery. The idea that David has, the picture that David has, what he sees God as is that God is fiery. He's fiery and he is ferocious. He bowed the heavens and came down. The metaphor is beginning to take um, more shape now. He bowed the heavens, which means the atmosphere, which means the clouds. He bowed the heavens and came down. God came down like a storm. Thick darkness was under his feet, dark storm clouds. He rode on a cherub and flew. Speaking of God, a cherub is an angelic being, a mighty, magnificent, awesome angelic being. And David says God is like he's on this um, angel, this cherub, and he's coming down and he, he flew. He's moving through the atmosphere. He came swiftly. He came quickly. This means God is fast. He's coming for David quickly. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, verse 11. His canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. So now we're beginning to see the idea of a thunderstorm or some kind of hurricane of what God is like. In verse 12, out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. This is lightning. Look in verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent, his, his, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. The idea of these lightning bolts that are coming down and that are striking. In verse 15, and then the channels of the sea were seen. The water is pushed back, and you can see actually the bottom of the sea. And the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Verse 16. He sent from on high and he took me and he drew me out of many waters. You see this metaphor that 
David is painting of God. The first metaphor is that David is drowning and that he feels like he is surrounded in water. He feels like he's being held down. He feels like he can't get up. He feels like he can't breathe. He feels like he's going to die. That's David's situation of what he feels like. And then we see the metaphor that David gives of God. God comes in like a thunderstorm. God comes in like this cloud, this dark cloud. He comes and he blows this wind and moves back the water to rescue David. This is a fierce picture of God. This is a ferocious picture of God. I know, I know if you've ever been caught in the middle of a thunderstorm, you, you know the magnitude of a thunderstorm. You've perhaps felt what it is like. I remember a few years ago, right after we moved to Wilmington, um, me and a handful of guys at the bridge went fishing on, on a buddy's boat, actually down the intercoastal waterway in Mason's Inlet. And I believe that day it was my responsibility to take a look at the weather and to determine whether or not it was going to rain. Well, I send out a text before we left that day and I said, hey guys, a good news, um, weather forecast says 0% chance of rain. Everybody's like, great, sounds awesome. So we all meet at the dock, we all load up into the boat, we, we go fishing, we catch nothing, which is kind of customary, but we're out there having a good time uh, fishing. One of the guys sees kind of something in the distance, kind of back towards um, the landing, the boat landing, and he, he says, hey guys, it looks like there's a kind of a storm in the distance that is, might be heading our way. And you know, of course, we're like, ah, it's going to pass, it's going to go around us, we're going to be fine, we'll, we'll keep fishing, we keep, keep fishing. A few minutes go by, a few more minutes go by, it gets a little bit closer, we're hoping that it's going to go either one way around us or, or the other way, um, and it, it just barrels down on us. And, and it will not move. At this point, we're thinking, okay, well, hopefully it's not a very strong storm. Hopefully it's just going to pass over. You know, let's just sit here for a few minutes and we're going to be fine. As it gets closer, we, this, is, this is one of the most fierce thunderstorms that I've ever seen in my life. I, I can actually picture it uh, today. I can actually feel it, how strong it was. As it gets closer, we're like, we better go somewhere. All right, we better go somewhere. We're in a boat. We're, we're on water. This is not going to turn out well. And so we, we, we put the boat in, in drive. We're, we're headed down um, the intercoastal trying to get away from the storm. At this point, it has reached us. The wind is blowing upwards of 30, 40 miles an hour. The rain is coming. It's pitch black, dark almost. The temperature had dropped about 30 degrees and we are shivering. The rain is pelting us in the face as we're trying to go. And we all look at each other and we're like, we can't go. We can't do this anymore. We can't, we can't, we can't face this anymore. And so we actually, some, somebody, um, their dock on the intercoastal waterway with a, um, with a shelter over the top, whoever you are, I don't know who you are, but thank you um, that you lived on the intercoastal waterway and you had a dock with a shelter. We pull the boat up to it, strap it up, who knows who it is. Uh, we get on there and sit underneath it until this thing passes after about 15 minutes. And we sit there freezing our tails off as the wind is blowing and as, as lightning is, I mean, we're seeing a lightning strike all around us. And we honestly were a little bit, we weren't sure we were going to make it through that. You know, thunderstorms have this like amazing um, strength about them and power about them. And here's what, here's what David says. And here's the picture that I want you, ha you to have today of what God is like for you. I know we like to think that God is, you know, he's, he's nice and he's cozy and he's warm and he snuggles up to us and, you know, he's friendly and he gives us a little pat on the back. I, you know, I want to give you another picture of God, that God is a fierce storm, that God is ferocious. And that if, if God is for you, that means God loves you and he is going to let nothing um, in, in his way as he comes to pursue you. 
And David feels like he is drowning, and he says that God comes in. God comes in, and he pushes everything back. He removes everything. He actually rescues me, and he takes me up out of the water, the cords and the ropes that were holding me down, and I felt like I was going to die. God comes in, and he just breaks all all that away, and he pushes back the water, and he rescues me, and he lifts me up out of it. I want you to know today, whoever you are, wherever you are, If you know God, and if you surrender to God, and you cry out to him, and you tell him that you need him, and you submit to him, that's how he's going to come for you. That's how he's going to come for you. And then I want to show you, if that is the case, how you can respond how you can believe about this God that we have. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Psalm 18, verses one through three. This is how David begins the psalm. We'll end on these verses. David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, In the horn of my salvation and my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. You can you guess what um, the operative word is here in these verses? Can can you guess the word that is the operative word that it's the most important of those three verses? It's the word my. It's the word my. David says nine times, God is my strength, he is my rock, he is my fortress, he is my deliverer, he is my God, he is my rock. He says it again, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold, nine times. This is so critical for us to recognize. For David, God is not a belief, God is not a perspective, God is not a theology, God is is not some kind of idea or philosophy. For David, God is personal. He is personal. And David says, God is mine. God, uh, David has a relationship with God to the degree that he says, my God. Can I just ask you today, what's your relationship with God like? A, a couple things that I would ask you. Do, do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you know God in that way? Or, or is God just a Sunday school lesson? Is God just a sermon Is God just a scripture passage? Is God just a song that you sing? Or do you know God? Do you know him personally? I'll say not only do you know him personally, but you may have never been asked this question, but do you know him possessionally? Possessionally, where David says he is, he's mine. Like that's that's a pretty like earth-shattering concept to think about the most high God, the God of the universe, for David to say he is mine. He is mine. Do you have a possessional relationship with him? I'll, break, I'll, I'll mention it like this. Um, every now and then I'll be having a conversation with um, uh, someone at the church who's been here for a while, who is either a member or has been around for quite some time. And at some point in the conversation, occasionally, um, they'll, they'll say, your church, speaking of me. They'll say, you know, yeah, yeah uh, enjoy coming to your church. 
Which, first of all, um, it's not my church. Um, this is God's church. This is his idea. Um, I, I get the privilege to pastor and to shepherd, but this isn't my church. Um, I don't own it. This is God's church. Um, but the other thing that um, is a little, kind of a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating, but th- when, they, when they say your church, um, I want them to say that this is their church. This is our church. Now, I, w- I, want, them to, I want them to love this place. I want them to, to not feel like, no, this is your church and that I come and I'm a spectator or I come and I consume the product and you know, it's something that I participate in occasionally. Now, I want them to feel ownership of this place. I, I want them to say, man, this is ours. When they begin to use the language of our, then I know that they're in this together, that they feel like this is theirs. I, it makes me um, recognize that they have some kind of possessional um, relationship with our church. You know, do you feel that way about God? Do you have a relationship with God where it actually feels possessional in the, in the sense that, that, that you belong to him and he belongs to you and that he is yours that you know him, that your relationship with him is not just some kind of distant idea, but is, is actually some kind of personal kind of relationship with him, that God is mine. Now, I think when we begin to talk about our relationship with God, I think we need to understand the kind of relationship that we can have with him because he is a personal God. So, for instance, um, I have a relationship with this table. Y'all see this table? Um, this is my preaching table, my sermon table. You know, it's, it's up here, you know, every week. Um, I have a relationship with this table in the sense that I'm pretty close to it, um, in the sense that we have a little bit of a history together. Um, I like this table, you know. Um, I actually painted this table. Um, and so, in, in some ways, I kind of have a relationship with, with this table. Um, I appreciate the table. Um, I'm even talking about the table. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of a functional kind of uh, relationship. It's actually not a personal relationship with um, the table. How many of you, your relationship with God is kind of like this? God might be close. You, you might think about him or understand him or study him or, you know, something like that. But, but it isn't personal. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Here's why this is so important. If you do not have a personal relationship with God, if you do not have a personal relationship with God, he will not save you when you are drowning. If you do not have a personal relationship with God, he will not be your salvation. He will not come for you and he will not rescue you. Is God for you. How do you know that when you're drowning in life's circumstances and life situation that God is actually going to come for you? How do you know that he's for you? How do you know that he's coming for you? How do you know that he thinks about you in that way? I think that most people think about God and their relationship with God and that God might be for them. I think in three kind of different ways. I think first of all, um, some see God or, or they operate in their relationship with God kind of like a deist, what I'll call a deist. A deist is someone that says, um, I believe in God. Um, They would say, I believe in God, and and, and therefore, I think God is for me. I believe in God, so therefore, I think God is is for me. I believe there's a God. I believe that he's out there. You know, I'm I'm not an atheist. I believe that he's the man upstairs. You know, so I believe in him, so therefore, I think God is for me. That's the deist. The second, um, I think, view that people have when they think about if God is for them or not is what I'll call the spiritualist view. The spiritualist view is someone that says, um, well, I just believe that we're all God's children, and therefore, um, God is for me. I 
I just believe that we're, we're all God's children and, you know, therefore God is for me and that he loves everybody and that, you know, we should love one another. And at the end of the day, God's actually for it. And we might be different. And we might be going down different paths and stuff, but God, he loves all of us. That's the spiritualist view. And then the third view I would say is the moralist view. The moralist view is the person that says, well, I try to be a good person. I try to be a good person and therefore I think God is for me. You know, I try to make sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I try to make sure that I don't, I don't cheat on my taxes and cheat on my wife and this and that. And I try to, live, try to be a good person, try to do what's right. Therefore, I think God is for me. I have to say um, today that none of these three perspectives assures you that God is for you. The only thing that will actually give you assurance that God is for you is the gospel. The gospel is not, I believe in God somewhere out there, or I think I'm God's child, and so I think God is fine with me, or I'll try to be a good person, and so therefore God will love me and God will accept me. The gospel is, is none of that. The gospel is that you cannot save yourself. The gospel is that you are actually opposed to God, that you are living your life as your own God, trying to be your own God. The gospel is the good news that God has come for you, that God loves you to the degree that he has given himself for you in Jesus Christ, in his son, that his son has come for you to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you should have died, and to conquer the grave that you could not conquer. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And only through faith, only through belief, only through surrender to God and who he is and what he has done for you, only in that where you come to God and say, I need you, forgive me, save me, change me, only in that moment does God actually come in and save you. This is salvation and rescue you and make you new and bring you into his own family. So it's a hard word today. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, he isn't going to come and rescue you when you're drowning. But the good news is, is that if you do have a personal relationship with God, he comes for you and he comes ferociously and he is fierce and he is fiery and he is fast and he is coming for you. Today, I don't know where you are, what your circumstances are, what your situation is. But today I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to God. Would you bow your head with me and would you close your eyes wherever you are in your own heart, in your own moment? Perhaps for the very first time, would you surrender your life to God right now in this moment? Would you surrender to God? Would you tell him that you're done trying, that you're done trying to do it yourself, trying to clean yourself up, trying to make yourself a better person, trying to get yourself out on your own? Would you surrender your life to God today and say, I need you. I need you, and I need you to come, and I need you to save me, and I need you to rescue me. You can do that today, perhaps, in a prayer from faith in your heart, something like this. God, today I need you. God, today I surrender to you. God, today I ask that you would save me. I trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for me. Please save me. If you did that today, if you are trusting God today and believing God today, perhaps for the very first time, I want you to know and I want you to believe that you have a relationship with God 
that you have a fundamentally new relationship with God and there is never a situation or a circumstance you might find yourself in where it feels like you're drowning, where God isn't going to come for you. So hey, if you're taking that step today, I would encourage you, there's gonna be a link that's gonna be coming across the chat right now, wherever you're watching this. And I wanna encourage you to click the link there and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I wanna give my life to Christ today. Uh, let us know, we'd love to be able to help you and follow. People have been giving their life to Christ throughout this season. I encourage you to take this step today and say, man, I'm surrendering my life to Christ and I'm giving my life to Christ um, today.